Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Okay. <clears throat> so as I um, as I said, I want to start um, exploring some discourses the the next few weeks, <clears throat> rather than just hearing my take on the Dharma. You might as well hear the Buddhas, and uh, and then I'll offer some reflections as well. Um, and I <clears throat> uh, took a, a discourse from this collection. This is one of um, five different collections of discourses that comprise the what's called the Pali Canon. Uh, there's the Maji Mandakaya, the middle-length discourses. That's a brown book uh, that often I, I come in with. Uh, the Digha Nikaya, or the um, long discourses. There's the Samyutta Nikaya, or connected discourses that have a lot of themes, small vignettes that are all connected with a, with a theme. Um, there's a a miscellaneous collection called the Kudaka Nikaya, which has includes the Dhammapada and other smaller uh, other collections like that, Sutta Napata, smaller uh, collection of discourses. And there's this one. This is called the Anguttara Nikaya, and this is a um, this book came out this last year, uh, Anguttara. This is the, the numerical discourses of the Buddha. And how this collection is organized is um, just in number of discourses that have a certain number of things in them. Like you, th- you might have thought you knew a few lists in the Buddhist teachings like the five hindrances or the seven factors of enlightenment or the four noble truths or the three characteristics or things like that. You know, sometimes it feels like, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, On the 12 12 days of Christmas, you know, (laughs) 11 of this and 10 of that. And well, if you thought you knew most of the lists, Think again, unless you're familiar with the Anguttara Nikaya, because this is all, each discourse is a list. And there are the book of, um, the book of ones, like the Buddha says, there is one thing, O monks, that blah, 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 and that's this. Then there's the book of twos, threes, four, five, sixes, sevens, uh, all the way up to um, elevens. That's as far as it It doesn't quite get up to the 12 days of Christmas. Um, The book of elevens. And each of these, the only reason that they are in that particular chapter is that there's 
seven things. This is the book of sevens, a list of discourses that have seven of whatever. Um, And that's what this... uh, this evening's discourse I thought I'd share about. It's from the Book of Sevens in the Anguttara Nikaya. Uh, and it's uh, the discourse on dozing. In uh, Tanasaro Bhikkhu's, if you go to Access of, in- on, uh, Access of Insight, um, the, uh, he calls it nodding. Same, but you can just look under nodding and you'll see it. <clears throat> this is the translation by Bhikkhu Bodhi, who uh, has come here, the, the premier translator, really um, inspiring activist as well. But I thought we'd, we'd uh, look at it together. First I want to uh, ask, um, how many people have, if you've had some challenges at times with uh, with sleepiness and nodding off in meditation. Okay, pretty co- not everybody, but you know, pretty common. It's one of the big five in the list of the five hindrances. <clears throat> Sometimes people have just the opposite, which is restlessness and agitation. How many people have have that as a as a hindrance? Okay, and then you can also have what's classically called a multiple hindrance attack, where you <laughs> where you have sleepiness, and then you feel like you're going to pop out of your skin, and then you just kind of fall you know, like that, you know. Um, or you can have uh, sleepiness and aversion on top of that, and wanting to wake up, and and having a lot of doubt. That's when it really gets overwhelming, multiple hindrance attack. <clears throat> so one thing, uh, one reason I wanted to share it, besides giving you the Buddhist strategies, is to remind you that um, this is just part of the territory. Having a mind, you're going to be subject to nodding, dozing, Restlessness, doubt, all of those. And uh, the Buddha knows full well that this is you know, part, of the, part of the territory. And he um, gave this discourse <clears throat> to um, offer some strategies. And just as a little background to the discourse, um, he gave this discourse to... Um, Maha Moggallana, who uh, was um, one of the two chief disciples of the Buddha. So this isn't somebody who, you know, is just some kind of like middling, mediocre yogi. Maha Moggallana uh, was, um, he became the, along with Sariputta, Sariputta, uh, the the two main disciples. By the way, Sariputta or Sariputra in in uh, uh, in Sanskrit uh, and Mahamogalana were best friends, and it's said that they were best friends for lifetimes. But in this the lifetime that they uh, 
met the Buddha and his teachings, they had been practicing with another uh, very um, well-respected and popular um, uh, teacher, uh, Sanjayi, I think his name was. And uh, then they, um, Sariputta met a disciple of the Buddha who moved him deeply and said, this guy knows something. And he asked this, uh, this disciple named Asaji, um, what, what's your teaching? What's your teacher and what, what, what's, what's your teaching? And uh, he was told very simply, that which has the nature to arise has the nature to pass away. And with that, luckily for Sariputta, he became enlightened. <clears throat> Not fully enlightened, but a first, uh, first stage of enlightenment, stream, stream winner. And then he found, um, he found Moggallana. They had split, by the way, for a while. They just said, I'm going to go looking for all the teachers I can. You do the same. And if either of us finds what we're, we're looking for, um, we'll, we'll come back and, uh, and, and tell the other. So Sariputta found Maha Moggallana and said, uh, Moggallana at that time, Maha means that he, was, uh, he became Maha great after, uh, after some time with the Buddha. And he said, check this out. And he told him exactly what he heard, and also, some guys have all the luck. When you're ready, you're ready. Who knows about these stories? You can take them literally or metaphorically, but they have been doing a lot of ascetic practice, and when they got the truth of everything coming and going, and there's nothing to hold on to. There was a deep opening within them. So they then practiced with the Buddha. They became monks. And uh, in one account I was reading, this uh, Mahamogalana at that point was, um, had been practicing for a week. He had ordained and... This is his first week-long retreat. He didn't know how long, maybe he didn't know how long he was going to do a retreat for, but this supposedly on the seventh day he'd been practicing and he was nodding off. Happens, right? Actually, usually after about three days you kind of get a little bit more energy and, uh, and, and... uh, things work out a little bit more about um, about your uh, wakefulness, but there he was on the seventh day nodding so of a very very sincere deep diligent practice and the Buddha in this story um, he 's not by Moggallana, but he with his psychic powers, and there are powers that you can develop. There's definitely powers you can develop. He sensed Mogalana was just nodding off. 
So take it for what it's worth, but in, in the story, the Buddha decides to pay Moggallana a visit psychically. So I'll re- just read a little to give you a flavor of it. <clears throat> On one occasion, the Blessed One was dwelling among the Bhagas at Sumsumaragira in the Deer Park. Um, On that occasion, the Venerable Moggallana was sitting and dozing at this other place, Kalavalama Mutagama, (laughs) big word, among the Magadans. With the divine eye, the Blessed One saw Venerable Moggallana sitting and dozing and then just as a strong man might extend his drawn-in arm or draw in his extended arm, Blessed One disappeared from the deer park and reappeared before the Venerable. And the Blessed One sat down on the seat that was prepared for him and said, Are you dozing, Moggallana? Imagine the Buddha coming up to you and say, uh, nodding off. Right? <clears throat> Are you dozing? He says it twice. Are you dozing, Mogulana? Yes, Pante. Yes, Lord. And then he says, here's a few things to try. Uh, therefore, <clears throat> Mogulana, first of these seven, you should not attend to or cultivate the object that you were attending to when you became drowsy. By such means, it is possible that your drowsiness will be abandoned. That means, and maybe we can relate to each of these in our own practice. Uh, You know, sometimes if you're kind of drifting off in a dreamlike reverie, and you're kind of, oh yeah, it would be so nice. He says, basically, wake up and don't get seduced by that train of thought. Or if you happen to think of something that was kind of putting you in a very relaxed space, oh, wouldn't it be nice to be in Hawaii on a beach? Hello. Okay, so stop thinking about what you you happen to be thinking first. But, if you cannot abandon your drowsiness in such a way, number two, you should ponder, examine, and mentally inspect the Dhamma as you've heard it and learned it. By such means, it is possible that your drowsiness will be abandoned. Basically, that's saying, inspire yourself with a little... Dharma talk, maybe reflecting on um, the power of mindfulness, or, uh, oh, these are the five hindrances, or this is one of the hindrances, that's what's happening, or some kind of inspiring piece of Dharma wisdom that can move you and reconnect you with your intention, why you're doing what you're doing. It's like giving yourself a little Dharma pep talk. Right? Make sense? I'll go through these and then we can have a conversation. 
Third, but if you cannot abandon drowsiness in such a way, you should recite in detail the Dharma, the Dhamma, as you've heard it and learned it. By such means, possible that your drowsiness will be abandoned. Now, in those days, there was a recitation. And even now, there's, you know, we did the chanting uh, of the refuges and the um, uh, homage to the, uh, to the three refuges, homage to the Buddha and the refuges. Well, a lot of the teachings were done with that kind of memorization. So he's saying, okay, it's one thing to kind of reflect and inspire yourself, but if you start saying them out loud, that might wake you up even a bit more. It's probably a little harder to fall asleep when you're chanting and reciting something out loud. So that's his his third suggestion. <clears throat> but if you cannot abandon your drowsiness in such a way, you should pull both ears another translation, pull your earlobes, and this is a classical way to wake up, and rub your limbs with your hands, and by such means it's possible that your drowsiness will be abandoned. You know, I don't know if they knew about acupressure points or meridians, but this definitely wakes you up. Anybody ever use that to, to wake up? No? One person. I've been using it for years. Just just try it right now. Just uh, pull on your earlobes, but also like give your whole ear a massage. Both. In fact, you can do both of them. And don't be afraid. Your ears can handle it. You know, really like a a wake up massage. Pull and uh, nice massage. And now rub your limbs. Now, taking a little bit of um, uh, what I've learned from Donna Eden and energies, if you tap yourself, and particularly tap your, tap your chest, and you might even go further down if you like, wherever you like, but particularly these meridians and, and your arms and your going down, you wake up a bit. I actually also find getting your head and um, tapping your head and even scratching your head you know, is very effective. In fact, I, a friend of mine uh, gave me this, uh, this, this device that I use from time to time. It's called the, uh, I think it's called the Tingler. <laughs> there used to be, there was a horror movie once called the Tingler. You remember that if you were old enough? And it's this, it, uh, it's this, these metal bands that kind of spread over your head, and you do it to wake, to wake up. It kind of, it's pointy, but, but not sharp, and it just uh, wakes up your whole scalp. Okay, very, see, he's very practical, just very practical. Um... But if you cannot abandon 
your drowsiness in such a way, you should get up from your seat. Rub your eyes with water. Survey all quarter, all the quarters and look up at the constellations and stars. This, he was, this is in the evening. And by such means is possible that your drowsiness will be abandoned. Makes a lot of sense. Get up. And in fact, standing meditation is a very good antidote for sleepiness. It's a little bit hard to fall asleep. Usually wake up on the way down. Um, Standing, putting some water on your face, and looking around. And if it's at night, and you're lucky enough to see stars up there, then uh, take that in. If it's during the day, actually getting some light is very wakeful. And, and that leads him to the next one, to the sixth. But if you cannot ab- abandon your drowsiness in such a way, you should attend to the perception of light. You should undertake the perception of day, thus saying to yourself, as by day, so at night, as at night, so by day. Thus, with a mind that is open and uncovered, you should develop a mind imbued with luminosity. By such means, it is possible that your drowsiness will be abandoned. Now, If you are, if it is in the daytime, taking in the light wakes us up. It's one of the one of the problems now that we're in uh, in this era of electricity, where there's not there's not a, a natural nighttime that people go through. Our sleep cycles are very different now than they were. 100, 150 years ago, people just naturally went to bed. Oh, 9.30, it's dark. Time to go to sleep. You know, now, well, flick on the light, and uh, it does affect our rhythms because light wakes us up. Now he says, think about light. If If it's nighttime, just Think about light. And your mind, as one teacher once said to me, and it made such sense, the mind is like silly putty. And it is very, it is much more malleable than we think. So, for a moment, I invite you to close your eyes and without straining too hard, don't try to make it happen because if, it's, if you force it, then it just gets frustrating. But just imagine a very bright scene, place that you know, whether it's Hawaii or Mexico or um, any, uh, or your favorite beach. And remember, remember that experience and just invite luminosity into your consciousness.
It's a gentle invitation, not a forcing, but just imagine it being a bright day inside. And you might even, as you close your eyes, sense any kind of light, even in your visual field, even with your eyes closed. You you can actually, at times, uh, see the flickerings of light. And let yourself be interested in it, if that's available to you because interest wakes you up as well. Okay, so that's the sixth, and this is his seventh. <clears throat> oh, sorry. There, that is the, uh, that is, then there's, then there's a seventh, but then there's actually uh, an eighth although this is a seventh, but you'll see why he he doesn't include this. The seventh strategy, if you cannot abandon your drowsiness in such a way, you should undertake the exercise of walking back and forth. Do walking meditation. Perceiving what is behind you and what is in front with your sense faculties drawn in and your mind collected. By such means, it's possible that your drowsiness will be abandoned an excellent alternative to sitting quietly. If it's really hard for you to stay awake, go for a walk. Just refresh yourself. And then, this isn't included as one of the seven strategies, but this is the piece de resistance. But if you cannot abandon your drowsiness in such a way, You should lie down. Lie down, he recommends, on your right side in the lion's posture with one foot overlapping the other, mindful and clearly comprehending, if you can, after noting in your mind the idea of rising. So you're going to lie down, you lie down, and you have the idea I'm going to wake up refreshed. Right? And then, when you awaken, you should get up quickly, thinking, I will not be intent on the pleasure of rest. Mm, You know that moment? That's the big one. Oh, this feels so... Who wants to meditate? This is the key decision. When you awaken, you should get up quickly thinking, I will not be intent on the pleasure of rest. The pleasure of sloth. A little judgment there? I don't know. The pleasure of sleep, in this way, Moglana, it is in this way that you should train yourself. 
So he says, do whatever you can. And if all else fails, just rest. Now, when people come to retreats, it's very common that they come to a retreat exhausted. And they've been running on empty for a while. If that is the case when you're practicing, then in the first day or two, it makes a lot of sense to just get a really good nap. Sleep as much as you can, but if you're exhausted during the day, especially those first couple of days where it's really hard to get in touch with your own own energy, then just um, say, okay, this is going to support my practice. You're not doing it out of playing hooky, you're doing it with the intention, I'm doing this to support my practice. And there's something very mm, mysterious in getting in touch with why you're doing what you're doing, even if it seems like it's a little bit lax. If you are clear that you're doing this so that you can really come into practice with renewed energy, then it's skillful and it's not going to be a weight in your heart and in your mind. Then you just do the best you can and you start fresh. So these are his strategies and from what uh, what I hope you can get is there's a lot of different ways and this is not something to beat yourself up about. He's telling this to Mogolano, one of the premier yogis. Give yourself some some wiggle room and um, be very kind with yourself and do the best you can. Now there's a few other ways that I, I'll say here that I've found helpful for myself. One is um, to take some very deep breaths. Very helpful to just oxygenate the system. It's one of the ways that I I work. Maybe 20 or 30 seconds on an inhale and the same on an exhale. You don't want to hyperventilate, but nice, slow, deep. And I hold my breath. Like I'll be going... And really, and hold it for half a minute, 45 seconds or so. I'm just kind of like <clears throat> oxygenate every cell in my brain. And then I let it out completely. And I hold it out for as long as I can. And I'll do that for, you know, four or five minutes. And uh, you're going to change your consciousness. <clears throat> There's one one technique. If you if you read um, Jack's book, it's now called Living Dharma. It used to be called Living Buddhist Masters, but uh, that title no longer applied after some time. Uh, There's one master in that book, Sunlun Sayadaw, 
S-U-N-L-U-N, and his main practice was... You're doing that for about um, 45 minutes. And then at the end, you hold it for as long as you can. No, sloth and torpor. None. You are gone into another another realm. I think it's actually an hour. It could be an hour. You can look in living living Dharma. But I've done that a few times. It's kind of like um, um, uh, rebirthing or uh, Stan Graf uh, holotropic breath work. You're going to another dimension, and it's very. It can be very intense, and and in the in that there's uh, you're doing it. With a room, if you go to Sunlin uh, Monastery in in Burma, and there's somebody saying, "Keep going, keep going," don't. It's like you're, there's a coach saying, "Keep it up, keep it up." It's intense, um, but even if you just do like four or five minutes like that, not that fast, but just holding your breath and letting it out, very helpful. Here's another one that I find helpful. Take your thumb and forefinger on each hand and make them into two um, circles, two rings. And then let your, let your hands just uh, be held in your lap. And the rest of your hands can be uh, touching, rest of your fingers touching. But see if you can keep those circles from touching each other. So you're going, kind of going like this, and but those circles are are not touching. It takes some alertness to keep them from touching, and as they do, if you start to fall asleep, it's like a little alarm clock. Oh, okay, dozing off. Um, and if you do that. The whole thing is you do it as a game. You're doing it in that playful spirit. You're not beating yourself up. You're just doing what you can to bring some energy up as a support for your practice. And whatever happens, happens. And then here's the other piece. If you find that you've dozed off, don't spend time beating yourself up. All that you'll do is exhaust yourself more. You'll compound the problem and say, oh, what a, what a pathetic yogi I am, and I, I'm always falling asleep, and will I ever get over this sloth and torpor, and blah, blah, blah. You know, you kind of beat yourself up for a while, and then when you stop doing that, then you're... Exhausted from all of that. No benefit in the self-judgment. And so know that you've done the best you can. And if you happen to doze off, then as soon as you wake up, ah, back, refreshed. It's like you took a little mini nap and here you are ready again. You've rebooted the system, so to speak. No mind moments 
on self-judgment. It's completely wasted, and it's also missing an essential piece of wisdom, which is, if you're blaming yourself for doing the best you can and it not being any better than what you could do at any moment, this is a misperception of ownership. Thinking, I should be able to do better than my best. That I'm controlling, I should have control over something that you have no control, little control over. The one thing you have control over is your intention and your will and your willingness to come back and do the best you can. But if you blame yourself, this is the great mistake in taking personally what's not yours. So the real freedom is in simply knowing you're doing the best you can and then letting go of the report card. How simple. Does that, are you with me? And that same attitude, if you get it, can be applied to restlessness, aversion, fear, sadness, confusion, all of those mind states that just come up completely unbidden, you don't have to take personally. And the extent to which you don't take them personally, they are held in loving awareness. Oh, that's what's happening. You know, oh, here's fear, or here's aversion, or here's anxiety, or here's sleepiness, or here's lust, or here's rage. Oh, that's part of being human too. So with the sleepiness is one that really comes, because it's such a prevalent one, it can be a real exploration into anatta, into the selfless nature of this mind-body process. And if you can be okay, not lazy now, not lazy, but okay with doing the best you can and actually feel good about doing the best you can, then practice is an inspiration rather than a frustration. Because practice can be very humbling. As one, as uh, Trungpa Rinpoche said, practice sometimes feels like one insult after another. But if you see, oh, I don't have to be insulted by what my body or my mind is doing. It's just doing its thing. Then that's the real freedom. So in some ways, it's actually a sign of deeper practice to fall into drowsiness 
and let it be okay without taking it personally than being crystal clear all the time and thinking, oh, that's the sign of a good yogi. Because what's happening will change sooner or later, but our relationship to what's happening can be an expression of wisdom, kind, loving awareness. So I think I'll stop here, and uh, if you haven't fallen asleep in my lecture, first let's see if there's any, uh, any comments, any questions that come up from that. I have more to say if if not, but uh, let's just check in. How do you how do you work within in your own practice or anything that might come up that would be useful for us? Yeah, yeah Jessica. Um, hi. Yeah. So for me, um, I've noticed that I don't usually get drowsy when I'm just practicing, you know, daily. But when I'm on retreat, those first couple of days are really tough, like yeah. you were talking about. So I. Um, We'll often do like a subtle kind of stretch movement that's coordinated with my breath, which is mm. sort of a yoga thing. So I, on the in-breath, I'll take an in-breath, and then on the out-breath, just gently bring my right ear toward my right shoulder, mm. and then inhale to center, and then exhale to the mm. left. Mm-hmm. So just sort of a subtle, and it, wake, it keeps me awake. It keeps me alert, and you know I can do it for a little while, and then... Once I'm sort of over that, <laughs> that drowsy, drowsiness, then I can just continue with the, mm. the normal meditation. So. Sounds good. Yeah, Sounds great. Yeah, really just doing me. a little mini yoga mm-hmm. practice. Mm-hmm. And you, you might, uh, if you haven't done a retreat before, or even if you have, you know, you, you might be sitting daily and, uh, and not having much drowsiness. You come on retreat and it's sometimes feel like you're slogging through a swamp. You say, what is going on here? I've come here to practice very full-on intention, and I'm just sleeping in a way that I never do at home. It's natural, because we're so used to operating on outside stimulation. You come to a retreat, there's not much going on. No. Lunch is the big entertainment for the day. Lunch or the Dharma talk. And we're so used to all that input, it keeps us going. You ever come home at the end of a full day and maybe you're curled up with a paper or you're, uh, you're watching TV or something and just in a few moments you're kind of nodding off because you're tired and you're not getting all that much input. You come on a retreat and it takes a while to get in touch with your own resource of energy. And besides that, when you're paying attention, what you're paying attention to is the first day or two, the fact that your mind is wandering everywhere or your body is not particularly comfortable. So again, it can be a, you know, well, gosh, this is not consciously, but you just kind of check out. Now, you might say, oh gosh, well, why would I do a weekend retreat? Um, There is a kind of mysterious thing that each retreat has its own 
its own trajectory. And you learn a lot on a weekend. I, I've been teaching weekends for decades. And I, I've tried to figure out how I could start on the fourth day, but I could never do that. But there's a value, a real power in going through a weekend. And even if you've been sleeping for a lot of, sleepy for a lot of the weekend, when you finish that weekend, it's like you're cleaned out. It's like your cushion is the compost heap and you're just kind of letting, letting everything settle. And you feel a lot more connected and awake. Thank you for the tip. Anything else? And Linda. <clears throat> well, I don't think it would be appropriate for um, a meditation period, but sometimes on Thursday night I'm sleepy during the meditation period and I'm like, I bet I get sleepy during the talk. And something that works for me, and I hope it isn't rude, is I chew gum. <laughs> And it really helps, and I am grateful to be able to hear the talk. Mm-hmm. Enjoy your chewing. I I believe in gum chewing. Definitely, it's you know I, I, when I'm when I'm teaching with my colleagues. Sometimes it's the hardest time to be present is during a talk. You've been. Taking, having interviews the whole day and going to meetings and all, and then you get to the talk, and everybody in the room is kind of like riveted, and the teachers have a hard time. <clears throat> I chew gum sometimes. <clears throat> and when I was a school teacher, my class, one of the, one of the big perks in being in Mr. Barris's class, he let you chew gum. <clears throat> And it, you weren't supposed to chew gum, according to the school policy. But I said, if I don't see you chewing gum, I won't know. You know, just don't kind of, you know, be like a cow in front of me. Uh, but I always thought that it was actually a really good um, release of tension for kids to sit in stationary chairs when I in, in New York City schools for six hours a day just seemed and still does seems crazy so I'm big on gum chewing <clears throat> enjoy glad you're here <clears throat> yeah one, maybe one last one and then we should I guess this is kind of a basic thing but in some meditation instruction I've, I've been told to sort of keep my gaze down and my chin down and I found that I would tend to lose energy that way mm. and, and just sort of lifting my head to a more normal position and up opening up the top of oh opening up the top of my neck mm-hmm. um, and shifting my gaze out to encompass the room rather than s- just staring at a spot in front of the floor very good uh, i um, I find both of those helpful. Let the gaze be uh, not down but out and even up. Uh, and straightening up is is actually one of the main ones that uh, that I would first suggest because there's something about a straight spine that brings alertness and I imagine being pulled like a plumb line from from above and in fact if you find yourself kind of slumping over most of the time an adjustment from your head 
will align the rest of your, your body. And just kind of lifting it up, back and up, like, um, so your neck is long and that straightens you out. Okay, so with all of this, the main thing is don't take it personally. Do the best you can. Feel really good about what you do do. And uh, know that you're human. And this is an important part of practice to be okay with how things are. Okay, so we'll see what... I don't know if we'll be using lists or... I'll come up with something from next for next week uh, from these lists, and uh, we'll do another discourse. So let's just close with a loving kindness. And just um, connecting with your heart center. You might breathe in and out of your heart for a moment. And feel all the good energy in this room, sharing the Dharma and practice with everyone. And a moment of appreciating yourself or appreciating that there's something in you that really loves the truth, loves being more conscious and kind. And send some thoughts of well-wishing to yourself. May I see clearly with kindness and clarity. May I not take my mind states personally, hold them with loving awareness. May I share my love well. And wake up to the highest happiness and peace. And then sending that out to all beings in all directions may all be safe, may all be happy, may all come to healing, may all be free of suffering and find deep peace. And may our coming here together be of benefit to all beings everywhere. Thank you very much. See you next week.